As the young mortal father of Jesus, Joseph had to rely on personal revelation to guide his family and keep them safe. That same offer and opportunity is available to us today as we navigate treacherous waters with our families. The foundational approach to this type of relationship with God and the Holy Ghost is to build a balanced and faithful life modeled after Jesus himself. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I seek and find Christ a couple of ways. One of the biggest ones is by sharing experience with other people. Finding Christ for me looks like finding space, like finding a quiet space for me to really think and reflect about Christ and His sacrifices for me. I seek and find Christ in my life by taking time to be on my own. I go up to the mountains, go on quiet walks. It's time for me to just reflect and ponder and feel closer to Him. Sometimes that space isn't always a physical one. Sometimes I'm in a busy area and I just have to take a moment and calm down and look for Him and refocus. It's amazing how others find me or how Christ finds me through others. Um, everywhere I go, I, I have Christians sharing their stories with me and uh, it's like maybe I'm a lost sheep and so Christ is seeking me out. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Dr. Dan Belknap. Dr. Belknap received a PhD in Northwest Semitics from the University of Chicago and is a professor of ancient scripture at BYU. Welcome, Dan. Thanks. And our special guests seated next to Dan are Tyler and Stephanie McKellar. Tyler and Stephanie are the parents of six children and the authors and editors of the Family Reader Collection, a series of books designed to make scripture study easy and effective for individuals and families. Tyler has also had a career as an advertising copywriter, screenwriter, and producer. Welcome, Tyler and Stephanie. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And to each of you at home, thank you for joining us in today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts and insights on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, parents can receive revelation to protect their families, and second, Jesus Christ established a pattern for living a balanced life. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Dan, Tyler, and Stephanie in footnotes. Okay, Dan, so as we jump into our first topic, parents can receive revelation to protect their families. What sort of background or context can you provide from these two chapters? And then specifically, where does this topic fit in? Right. So, so this is Luke 2, Matthew 2. These, these are chapters that we all know. This is the, the you know, birth stories, the mm -hmm. infancy narratives that they're called. <laughs> Establishing here that really the story of Christ and this wonderful salvation gospel, right, the good news, is going to begin at the birth and these incredible events that are happening. In terms of the points that we're talking about, 
that first one, uh, dealing with revelation and protection or the type of protective revelation we can receive uh, as parents or as any individual who has responsibilities over others, that seems to be emerging primarily from Matthew chapter 2 right? Which would be, you've got the story of the wise men. That's the focus of Matthew chapter two. And those wise men, they, they know about Christ. They come to Herod. And then, of course, Herod expresses interest. Oh, oh I want to know who this true king is. So sure, find out who it is. When they go to Christ, at that point, they receive a revelation in which they're told not to go back to Herod and report uh, this, this, about this event and about this individual. And so they end up leaving, kind of wandering wherever they go, and they go back home. Joseph also receives a revelation in which he is told that it's about to become dangerous. Take your wife, take your child, and go into Egypt. So that's where, that's where this mm -hmm. first point seems to be emerging from, the particular narrative from Matthew 2. Okay, so I'd, I'd love to jump in and, and read this narrative. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying... Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son." Stephanie and Tyler, what are some of your initial thoughts on what Joseph and, and Mary were thinking or experiencing during this time? I like that this revelation came to Joseph. And because um, I think sometimes as a couple, um, one of you might have some revelation given to you. There was a time when Ty and I needed to move. Well, we didn't need to move. I did not want to move. I loved where we were living. I had my friends. I had my circle. It was California. The sun was shining all the time. And Tyler started to feel like we needed to move. And um, we talked a lot about it, prayed a lot about it. And I thought about the story and how I could rely on Tyler's inspiration and work together to have that Revelation and I would jump in and say that certainly goes both ways. Mm -hmm. um, I think the uh, there's times when I have felt I want a parent like this, and I think this is what should be done, whether it's something big or small. And uh, if I'm not careful, I can get you know really really dug in on that and immovable. And Stephanie's wisdom has been invaluable. And as we talk through it more, there's times when, of course, she's receiving inspiration and, and uh, has insight into our children that I don't necessarily mm -hmm. have as, as a mother for them. And so over time, I've learned to appreciate that, um, what she brings specifically. It's not all going to come to me. It's not all going to come to her. Sometimes it'll come together. And as we communicate that, you know, I, we feel like we can be led to good answers. And what a blessing, especially when we're dealing with, with rearing our children as we talk about within this narrative of just working together as a team to trust each other and to receive uh, that revelation to protect uh, those over whom we have responsibility. Uh, President Nelson uh, speaks of this and the, the power that can come uh, through this revelatory uh, process. He says, we can pray to our heavenly father and receive guidance and direction, be warned about dangers and distractions, and be enabled to accomplish things we simply could not do on our own. In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually 
without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. We can see this happening. It's very dangerous. Now, we're not all going to have an experience where some horrible king is trying to (laughs) kill our our child. (laughs) However, there are so many dangers that exist in the world today. I'd love to come to the audience and get some of your thoughts on how have you used the gift of revelation to, to help protect yourself or your children from some of the dangers that exist today? Sky. Creating a strong, trusting bond with your family on heaven and in earth because uh, God really works through the Spirit to help you do that. Sky, the Spirit speaks to us in a lot of different ways. In what ways does the Spirit speak to you so that you know when something is dangerous or not right? The Spirit for me is really a, a comfort and peace of mind. And when that's off, I can tell that something might be dangerous. And I love that we all feel it in a different way um, so that because we are all individuals and we need to be able to protect ourselves. So what are some of the things that we need to do to protect our kids from from some of the dangers and ourselves from some of those dangers that exist in the world today? One of the interesting things about this narrative to me is Joseph and Mary don't know that Herod's a threat. So they, that wouldn't even have entered their minds, right? There's nothing that the wise men said that suggests that Herod's got some type of hidden agenda here. They don't know Herod's a threat until that, until that dream. And I think as I, as I look at some of this, how do we prepare, how do we protect our kids? Mm-hmm. There's things that we do know that are bad. But as I look through the scriptures and I look at uh, different things the adversary does, he's really good at hitting you from a two-pronged attack. There's the one that you know is obvious, Everyone knows that's a problem. Even if it's a problem for you, you know it's a Mm -hmm. problem. And then there's this kind of subtle secondary thing that you didn't see coming, that he seeks to blindside you with. And you've got to know that there's simply things you are not going to be able to, that you would have never even imagined are coming. And so you're dealing with things that you just weren't expecting. It's also interesting to note that Joseph in particular he was not told everything that was going to unfold in Christ's life. He was first told the child that Mary bears, everything's okay there, move forward with the marriage. Then he was later told, take the Christ child to Egypt. But he wasn't told, go to Egypt, and then a short time after you're gonna come back, and here's, and here's where you're gonna live, and this is what you need to do. And so there again, I take comfort in the fact that I, I certainly would like it all spelled out for me, like, okay, for child number one, here's the 20 things they're going to face, the biggest things they're going to face. I'm not going to get that. We're not going to get that revelation. But there are certain things that he has said, here's something that you should do for them. But I periodically have to step back and say, okay, I'll, I'll, there are things he's told. He hasn't told me everything or us everything. We'll move forward that far. And what's what's challenging about that is you can't take the same pattern with each child because every child is, is different and they're all individuals. And so you have to really learn how to hone in on your, your skills to receive that revelation uh, for every child that you're raising or every situation. Stephanie, from your experience in helping raise uh, six children, uh, what have you learned about trusting the revelation you receive? And, and are there any examples that you can think of of following through on the revelation and the result that came from it? There was a time our son, he was five, 
and it was early spring up in the Teton Mountains, and he wanted to go outside and follow his sisters. They had gone out on a walk, and so I let him go too. And to be honest, I wasn't having a great day. It was, I wasn't at the top of my game as a mom. I was grumpy. It was about time for dinner. I wanted to finish an episode of a show I was watching. <laughs> so I said to my son, go ahead, you know, mm -hmm. go follow your sisters. And he went outside and I just had a feeling like you follow him. And so I got on my boots and, and started walking outside and a couple of hundred yards away, I met my daughters coming back from the walk. And I said, where is Oliver? And I looked and he had, he'd fallen through ice in a pond. And so, you know, we ran, fished him out of the pond and he was shivering and cold and I was very scared thinking of what if I hadn't followed that feeling mm -hmm. of follow him. And I guess from that experience, I learned that we don't have to be perfect to receive revelation. Trust that when heaven needs to get you an answer, um, it will come. And the Spirit, we do have the gift of the Holy Ghost to guide us. I love that. This experience with Joseph and Mary receiving revelation to, to protect their child, this is not unique within the scriptures. Where else can we go so we can learn, uh, continue to learn more about how parents receive revelation for each individual child? You certainly can find some more in the New Testament, but probably the Book of Mormon has some of the most uh, immediate, plain, maybe simple, not simple, but easier to understand. Okay. You've got Lehi and Sarai, mm -hmm. right? You've got Alma with his sons beginning in really chapter, uh, what is it, 36, okay. running all the way through 42. So when he's talking in verse 17, it says, came to pass that is thus racked with torment while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins. Behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesying to the people concerning the coming of, and the way he phrases it is, is one Jesus Christ. He does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when this event's happening. So he's like, I was there and I remember my dad talking about Jesus, <laughs> right? I, I don't have anything there, yeah. but I threw it out there, right? And that's that spiritual, that's a spiritual resilience. His dad prepared the, the children for when the children are on their own mm -hmm. and dad can't be there, that he's, there's a lifeline. So that's what he tells Helaman, right? But this is not the story he tells Corianne, who's got a whole other set of issues. Yeah. And when it comes to Shiblon, he tells the story differently. So he sets up to his son how he got personal revelation on these doctrinal topics. I think it's also worth um, remembering the example of Lehi doing his darndest to help Laman and Lemuel. Now, as it so happens, they didn't take that advice, at least in this life. But uh, that's not a failing of Lehi's. I look at Lehi and I take a lot of uh, comfort in an example of I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do it sincerely and to its fullest. I've done my part, and my child now has his agency. But sometimes I think as parents, we can stack uh, decisions of others or our children's on our backs and say, that's our failing, and it's not. If we have sincerely done our best to teach them the gospel, that's their choice at that point, and we certainly hope they will take it. 
There's a lot of people that may be watching this, this show that aren't parents yet. We had a, a question coming from one of our viewers. I'd love to watch that and then get some of your thoughts. Hi, my name is Miley Bernardo. I'm from Utah. My question is, as someone who is not yet married and sees the growing chaos of the world, what can I do now to prepare for the spiritual safety of my future family? Uh, I think of President Nelson's guidance of get on the covenant path and stay on the covenant path. And I, I think, again, whatever, and, and again, in the audience here, we have kids of all ages, whatever age we're at, when we are focused on the next covenant we should be making or honoring the covenants we've already made, we're in a position to receive revelation. And through practice as a principle, we will be able to know, oh, that's how I receive revelation. And then when you have children, you can, oh, that's right. This is how revelation works and this can work for my children. That's, so it's, some of it's just practice and, and applying those principles. It takes faith and um, faith in Jesus Christ that he knows us and he knows what we're going through. And when we need the answers, they'll come. Well, thank you all so much for uh, your comments and your thoughts on our first topic. And uh, I look forward to exploring this a little bit more in footnotes. But this has been wonderful so far. And for the audience, you've been great. Thank you so much for sharing with us as well. And for you at home, what do you do to provide protection for you and your family? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. Living a balanced life for me looks a bit like having time to slow down. Living a balanced life is working hard and also taking time to take care of yourself. So for me, I work hard and then I like to go into nature and relax and meditate and ponder. One of the stories I love in Christ's life is when he went off to a mount to pray and to be alone. And it seemed like he needed that time to communicate with Heavenly Father or to regroup. And I like that. That's helpful as a mom to have some quiet and some peace and time to think about what's really important. The second topic we're going to discuss today is Jesus Christ established the pattern for living a balanced life. Dan, can you give us a little background uh, on this topic now as we jump back into these chapters? So in Luke chapter 2, you go through the birth story, you get the, the whole manger, the angels coming and, and all of this. But after that, you get, for instance, first 40, which begins to establish this, right? They all end up, it says, after all of these things, they went back to Nazareth. And in verse 40, you get, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then the next narrative is when he's 12. So we've just jumped 12 mm -hmm. years. At 12, they're going down to Jerusalem at Passover, because that's what you do. And when they're down there, he interacts with these religious leaders. And he's teaching them, and they lose him for a time, right? And and uh, and then they find him, and they find out what were what were you doing? I'm doing that which my father's asked me. I'm doing my father's business, all that fun stuff, and that leads ultimately down to verse 52, which kind of ends the chapter, right? So the, so verse 40 to 52 brackets this section. Okay. And so it's it's bookended. It begins by telling us that he's increasing in stature and wisdom. And, uh, and this grace, and it ends with it saying, and he continued to do so. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. One of the interesting things I like about Luke chapter one is it's, a, it's got a focus on Mary. 
and we don't we don't think much about it. We often think about the the unique nature of Christ's mission. Nobody's going to do this, and nobody can do it, right? So he walks into the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's only it's just him. Nobody understands this, and that's true. But nobody has ever had a virgin birth either. So even though those are two different experiences, nobody understands what it's like to be asked to do something that's singular and unique better than mom, right? So even though she doesn't know everything that Christ is going through, she can say, ah, yeah, but I know what it feels like to be isolated Mm -hmm. and alone in an event Mm -hmm. that nobody else can do or nobody else will do. So I just look at this and I think there's there's an element where I think they just went private. Mary could have given more, but what you end up seeing is an adult Christ who's clearly been taught, Mm -hmm. both by mortal parents, mortal guardians, and a a heavenly father. I love that. So as you transition and talk about this, um, what we know about Christ and growing up, and and our second topic now of setting that pattern for a balanced life. What are some of the things that we can look at from our modern uh, leaders, our modern prophets and apostles um, about living a balanced life, specifically when it comes to teaching our children? I love these four principles. And in the children and youth program, they say, okay, increased in wisdom, um, intellectual, increase in stature, physical, increase in favor with God, spiritual, and increase in favor with man, social. So you kind of have these really great um, categories to say, how am I doing? Am I, am I spending too much time um, worrying about everything that's going on physical and I need to spend more time social? You know, it gives you a nice round thing to um, look at and balance. And I think this way with my kids too, we don't necessarily set goals with them or tell them what goals they should have. But sometimes I look at my kids and think, you know what, look at how she is growing socially. She made a new friend. Or look at the effort my son is putting in in school. He's really trying to uh, increase in wisdom. So it's a nice, broad way to be a person, mm-hmm. <laughs> a good person. So I think as well, one. Uh, almost uh, dovetailing back to our previous discussion where children need to learn what revelation is like, it takes time for them to learn what growth, what personal growth is like. And sometimes I think as parents when we say, okay, let's set some goals and so we can accomplish these things, I think it's sometimes a very abstract principle to them. And we get it and sometimes we as parents are checking boxes as opposed to really trying to teach them principles. but. When we do that and help them understand, like Stephanie said, like, hey, do you see how a year ago that was hard for you and, and you've done this and this is easier? That's growth. Or you started doing this thing and you committed to doing it. That's a goal. And that's been something we've been reminded to do, to not uh, assume that they understand what a goal is or what growth means. I just keep thinking of a tree. I mean, I can't make a tree grow. I, it's something I watch and I can see, and it takes years sometimes to notice the growth. And I think kids are a lot like that, that 
I can make a nurturing environment, but I am certainly not the one making that growth happen. Yeah, that's funny that you say that, because that reminds me of the story in the Book of Mormon of Enos, right? So when you look at Enos's writings here, what he says is, I remembered my dad, father, that he was a just man, and because he, he had taught me in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, mm. and that idea of nurturing, right? We can't grow, we, the tree's gonna do whatever the tree's going to do, but we can provide the environment where it can be nurtured. You know, as we talk about setting goals, the new year is always a great time to kind of reevaluate and see where we are uh, in all aspects of our life. And I would love to hear from the audience, what is a goal or a resolution that you have set that has helped you find greater balance in your life? Dave. We set the goal of, of becoming senior missionaries. And to achieve that, we needed to have balance in our financial life and our family life and in our spiritual life. And so we started out by doing things and, and we had some financial things happen that were very fortunate that allow us to prepare for our mission. Um, other things with regard to our family seemed to even out that we could do that. We found a solution to take care of our home and all those things balanced out and that allowed us to have that opportunity to serve a mission. And Dave, how do you feel living a balanced life helps you to be more Christ-like? Well, it follows what Christ is like. Even when, when he was a child, it seemed like he was balanced. So as long as we can follow what he's like, then our life is balanced. It doesn't mean we have to walk around with scriptures 24 hours a day. If we look at the life of Christ, he visited people. He talked with people. He became friends with people. Those are the things that, that we can do to become more balanced. Thank you, Dave. I love this discussion because I think sometimes, at least in my life, I find that uh, if I focus too much on one aspect, things just get a little out of whack a little bit. So, so what are some of the, the benefits of finding that balance uh, that we all need in order to live a, a healthy, productive, Christ-centered life? I go on these walks and I think of the problems behind me and the problems in front of me. <laughs> and it does seem like there's always something you can be trying to do, trying to accomplish. And one thing that I've really appreciated is you just cannot do everything all the time. We only have a limited amount of time and strength and energy. And so, just having that balance too, of just recognizing there's no way I can meet everybody's needs all the time. So listen to the spirit and it will guide you and what you should focus on. I'm struck with the principle of time again, we've already discussed it, but uh, Christ came to earth as the son of God, but it's still, he applied time to his growth. His parents applied time as that was a natural outgrowth of that. I think of the plan of salvation overall, and our Heavenly Father clearly takes His time to get things just right and to allow things to develop and grow. I think He's <clears throat> even far more merciful than we can understand, and that means time in a lot of ways, allowing, allowing us time to change and grow, so yeah. Well, and I see that reflected in these verses that we're talking about. It mentions that he increased in wisdom, right? I, I find wisdom fascinating mm -hmm. because it's not knowledge. Yeah. I mean, there's words for knowledge and, and the Greek word can imply some of that, but, but wisdom isn't knowledge. 
it's a how to use knowledge in a particular way. And in, specifically, in a usually positive sense without negative consequences, right? What strikes me about goals is, is they teach purpose, mm-hmm. right? They, they, they teach things have purpose. And that leads to understanding that actions have consequences, which means they ultimately teach about agency, which I find intriguing because that's not knowledge, that's, that's wisdom. And when, when you see that, you begin to see wisdom as a fundamental part of this gospel. And so it doesn't say just that Christ is growing in knowledge and learning. His parents are setting up an environment where he's increasing in wisdom. He's becoming wise. I love this discussion about uh, how it's a process uh, of, of the difference between wisdom and knowledge. And uh, Steve Lund has a quote talking about how goal setting can help in this process. He said, the personal development and goal setting activities bring balance to a youth culture that is manifestly out of balance. The benefits of setting and accomplishing diverse goals provide them with nurturing successes as they grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And that, it's that nurturing that, I, that stands out to me of you learn by experience and you grow so that that knowledge does turn into wisdom. I think it's really important to, to figure that out. Um, my, my son has set a goal to, to clean his room. And because we just told him, clean your room, clean your room. And he was doing it initially because we were telling him to. Uh, but just recently he came back and he said, I feel so good when I walk in my room and it's clean. <laughs> it just makes me feel good inside. That's that growth that he's nurtured that desire to, to be better on his own through that practice uh, of experience. Right. And it's made of wise, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm, in, I'm interested in that. In fact, I, I hate doing this because I'm going to call out an audience <laughs> member, right? But, but when we were talking about knowledge and wisdom, I watched Ireland and she started nodding at this, right? And so she's, she's one of the youth and I'd be curious to know, what do you think about this transition between knowledge and wisdom? How, do you, how are you learning wisdom? I was thinking about um, the difference between like what you said, um, knowledge and wisdom and knowledge is just like a whole bunch of facts and then wisdom, knowing what to do with that. And it makes me think about how we're told that God is an all-knowing God. And so, yeah, obviously he knows a whole bunch of facts, but he also knows what to do with that and like how to apply it to each of our lives and how to help us. And I think that's pretty amazing that we can kind of do the same, like looking back at our own experiences and all the things we've learned and then using our growing wisdom to apply it and improve our lives even more and learn even more. That's super cool. Did you teach her this? I mean, how does... What would you do to lead your daughter to, to that type of insight? Um, I let her uh, follow the spirit and um, cultivate her own relationship. I, I don't feel like it's something that I do. It's something that she's gained herself. And that makes me proud as a father. And as a father, that's a very wise thing to do with <laughs> your children is to allow them to learn and grow for themselves. This has been so great, and I, I am excited to continue this conversation in footnotes. But thank you so much for, for sharing your insights and your comments with us. And for the audience, you've been wonderful. Thanks for joining us today and for sharing with us also. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover in footnotes, so stay with us. The Spirit really communicates to me by bringing peace of mind and just being really comforting. Sometimes it communicates with me saying, hey, that's wrong. 
<laughs> Sometimes it communicates with me by saying, you should do this. One of my favorite feelings of the Spirit is after I've done something that took a leap of faith, or maybe it was a little scary, and the confirmation that I feel afterwards that I was doing something that God wanted me to do. The older I've gotten, the more I try and act upon those promptings, whether it's to call someone that I may think is in need, or go a certain route while I'm driving, or something like that. Uh, there are things that happen in life that we wouldn't, wouldn't know they would happen unless we follow those promptings. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about Matthew 2 and Luke 2 with Dan, Tyler, and Stephanie. So Dan, do you want to get us started uh, in Matthew chapter 2? Sure. Matthew and Luke have an overall goal to their texts, right, to these narratives. So we can look at this and say, oh, this teaches me about the birth of Christ. But we could also then look at it and go, what is Matthew trying to say by the way he couches the narrative, right? And in this case, uh, one of the interesting things is we think his audience, he never tells us explicitly who his audience is. But from the direction of Matthew, we think, we think that he's responding to Jewish Christians, right? So, so individuals who have come from a Jewish background, who have heard the story of Christ, have either uh, accepted it and become a part of this, this new kind of organization, or are sympathetic to the case of Christianity. And so he's going to couch the way he tells this through, uh, he really emphasizes Old Testament. We see that already here where he says, this is done, that thus we see fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And there's other ways in which he does it. So one of the intriguing things about chapter two is how similar this is to the story of Moses's birth and life. And that would make sense considering the audience. Right, okay. right. So, so one of the things Matthew might be trying to set up here is, is a great way to think about Christ is, He's a new Moses, right? Okay. And, th and that can be based somewhat on Deuteronomy 18, in which a prophecy is given that there will be another one, another prophet arise who will be likened to Moses. And what he tells you to do, you should do. Mm -hmm. So if, if Christianity is aware of that, and at least in the Gospel of John, they're aware of that prophecy, um, it's very possible that Matthew's trying to make a case here that Christ is a new Moses, and not just a new Moses, better than Moses, mm -hmm. right? What he's got is... It's different, and there's a new exodus, and there's a new deliverance, and that new deliverance is going to be the good news. What are some of the specific verses that we can kind of, I mean, there's the obvious one of, you know, Egypt, right. yeah. that uh, connection. Are there any other verses that we can point to that can really show us, like, here's a connection from the Christ story that relates to the Moses story? Uh, you could look, for instance, here, like verse 16, Herod's slaughtering of the, of the innocents is what, you know, uh, Christianity is going to call this you've got that paralleled in Exodus mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. Pharaoh kills all of the Israelite male children, mm -hmm. right? So there's this parallel here between that. Um, you've got the idea that Pharaoh is told that a child's going to come and a better king and will destroy mm -hmm. your kingdom. That's reflective of mm -hmm. Herod's concerns. So, so you just see these places where it's possible, possible, that Matthew is deliberately using the Moses story as a template to tell the story of Christ. <laughs> and that's not Luke's purpose. Luke's purpose isn't to teach you that there's a new Moses. He's got a different purpose, and we can talk about that when we get into Luke too, but Matthew is, and therefore we see these similarities to Moses' story. I think the great thing about this chapter is it's really a great story. There's a lot of action. Um, it's hard to explain to kids 
how sad it would be for a king to say, okay, all the children under two. That's hard to accept that that could happen. But um, this chapter is a great story in itself. The the movement and the key, the wise men coming and moving to Egypt. And that's helpful. Young children, I think, can understand mm-hmm. that action. And truth be told, the, the family readers are... are much more a 30,000 foot view of okay. these events. So certainly not, uh, these are, I love these insights. They're fascinating. Um, for the purposes of a child, understanding them, we've kept them far more simple. Yeah. I'm still using the text, um, but boy, they'll get there one day. Mm-hmm. And being able to understand those, some of these insights is really, really interesting. And it really does help to have that kind of broad overview picture, especially at a young age, mm-hmm. so that as you get older, and you you grow in, in wisdom, <laughs> and um, you get a, it, it's it, now it's easier to to hone in and focus on on some of these specific things. As a as a religious educator, it's always easier to teach some of the scriptures. For example, the Book of Mormon, because so many of my students are they're familiar with the storyline. Mm-hmm. So now we can really focus in mm-hmm. on some of the specific doctrines and principles that ex- that exist within that text. Well, and, and going off of that, this is really cool that we could dive maybe and get a little deeper into this, right? But the original audience of Matthew, literacy rates probably are not, they're nowhere near what they are here, right? So the idea that they're just picking up scriptures as a family and reading them at night, that's probably not reality hmm. for most of, of the Christians, right? How, where are they hearing the story? Someone's reading it to them, hmm. right? And so when we look at it in the English, when we look at it in the Greek, but these are both, whether it's the Greek when it's being written, whether it's the English when it's being translated, it's got to be written in a way, since most of this is going to be retold in a story form. Hmm. The idea of us being able to sit down and read it, that's a relatively really recent phenomenon Hmm. in world history, Hmm. right? And we don't think much about how we are receiving the way we receive it, but for the vast majority of Christians who this story, they're going to get it through hearing it, being mm-hmm. retold it. And so, and so you get some of these details and, and the way, so when you say it's a great story, it's like, yeah, no kidding, it's a great story. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can enact this. You can play yeah. it. We all do it yeah. with their kids at Christmas. They reenact this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, something that we had talked a little bit about was this, uh, the revelation that was received not only by, by Joseph, but also by... Uh, the wise men. What are some of your thoughts as we as we look specifically at the narrative in Matthew chapter two about the different ways in which the Lord communicates with us to either better ourselves or the life of somebody else? It's interesting uh, here early in the New Testament, having come from the Old Testament, so to speak, where so many of the stories are revelation from God through prophets that is not heeded. for century after century after Mm -hmm. century with some repentance along the way. It's really encouraging and touching, really, to think of the wise men and Joseph and Mary receiving revelation and obeying it and seeing the fruits Mm -hmm. of that obedience. And uh, it's also, they're also single individuals. That makes it a little more, I think, affecting, you know, to me as opposed to the children of Israel. It's easy often to want to shake your fist at, at all of them in a group, surely there were some, uh, you know, a variety of obedience within them. But I love hearing about people who are, receive revelation and follow it 
And that, that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an encouraging template to see here early in the New Testament. And sometimes I do wish I could have a dream and it would be all laid out. Here's what you should do. Um, but often it is uh, thoughts and effort. I have to put in a little effort um, comparing what what I want to do, what outcomes I might receive and asking the Lord. And it might take time. It might not be, you know, this makes it seem like, mm -hmm. and just at night, boom, there's your dream. <laughs> but sometimes it takes time to receive that revelation and to do your part, your effort to try to know what the Lord is telling you to do. It, thinking of the of Herod's determination to literally kill the Son of God in his infancy, that's, that's a real evil. Mm -hmm. And that continued through Christ's life and, of course, ended in the termination of his mortal life. But, and it can sometimes in our day as well feel frustrating uh, when we understand in some degree how much wickedness there is in the world. But just as then the good news was on the earth, so it is in our day. Mm -hmm. So yes, there was evil on the earth, uh, great evil, in fact. Um, but the Son of God, the good news, was on the earth, growing in wisdom and stature, growing in power, I suppose you could say. And he overcame, ultimately. You know, he overcame that death that was inflicted upon him through great wickedness and was resurrected. I think similarly in our day, as a parent, you can look around and feel like, my goodness, I am, I'm outnumbered here. No, we're not. We too have the good news mm -hmm. on earth. We have the fullness of the gospel. We have covenants. We have Christ, our brother who loves us and has promised to redeem us. And uh, I think Joseph and Mary, as they uh, understood more about their son as they grew, they must have taken comfort in that as well. And, and all Christians, they were heartbroken and ultimately their hearts were, were put back together and redeemed when they understood things more fully. You know, and it's interesting because we can see side by side the different reactions. If you look in uh, chapter two, verse two, where we have seen his star in the east and are come to, to worship him, okay? The reaction to Herod in verse three, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Hmm. There was almost this like, uh-oh, Something's coming. But then you contrast that in verse 10, um, talking about the wise men. When they saw the star, mm -hmm. they rejoiced with exceedingly uh, great joy. And what an interesting side-by-side uh, -side to see how the world can look at two, mm -hmm. these two events in, in a totally different way. You know, if you're looking for uh, the goodness, that good news that comes, it can be a very comforting thing. Whereas some of those that oppose some of the, uh, the, the goodness that exists through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a very terrifying, threatening uh, thing to, to try to accept and, and, and realize. That's something you find elsewhere in the scriptures, this, this um, subjective evidence that comes about through revelation to an understanding, right? So, so I think of like Alma chapter 30, where you've got Alma and Korahor and that, con that contention. Well, now Alma makes this case, how do you know there's a God? I mean, just look up in the heavens around you, right? But I think what's key behind that is, well, yeah, Korhor does look up into the heavens mm -hmm. and he doesn't see the same thing. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the exact same thing, but you don't see it the same way. Mm -hmm. You don't see it. Uh, in, in John chapter 3, 
one of the beautiful things that I think John the Baptist describes about Christ is he says, he's not only here to provide eternal life, but he says, but you can see life as well. I mean, the language to that, it's, it's a bit of a double negative. So you'll, it doesn't show up immediately, but it's, it's, if you look at John chapter three, verse 36, John sums up Christ's work as, or our faith in Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, right? So if you believe, you receive eternal life. That would make, that's a true gospel principle. And then you get the neck to the, the dumbbell and echoes. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Okay, that's true. But mm-hmm. if they're double negatives, you just take the negatives out and that principle is just as true. And if that's true, then it's, and he that believeth shall see life. And, and I think, particularly since we've been talking about parenting and doing this, I think it's important to teach Christ not only that he makes eternal life possible, but he makes it possible to see life. To see life. When I, when I hear about people, you get missionaries or, or whomever, and they're like, I don't know why. What is it about you that you carry with you? It's, I want to say the atonement of Christ and the fullness of the gospel allows you to see life in a radically different way. And whether you're aware of it or not, that, I think, changes the way you live your daily life. Yeah. Well, it makes me think sort of what Ben said is they were seeing the same thing how do I make sure my heart is in the right place and that I I do see things the way God sees them? I am letting God prevail in my life and I'm excited about the right things. Yeah. You know, you know as we transition and move to, to Luke chapter two, I'm intrigued by this, this, the actions of Mary. As, as these things are unfolding, these events, at verse 17, talking about the shepherds, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And verse 18, all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. And in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's almost as if this is a very careful, sacred uh, thing that she is trying to not only better understand, but almost protect. Um, what is what is what she's experiencing? What she has just experienced? What's fascinating is verse nineteen and verse fifty-one kind of have the same English, but they have different Greek words here, right? So the kept is a different verb than the kept in verse fifty-one, mm. and the differences in those and and what she does with these things, even though they both go into her heart, seems to describe two different sets of understandings that Mary comes away from this. Right. So the first one is this, uh, but Mary kept all these things in, in uh, all these things upon her in her heart. That verb kept here it has a sense of to preserve, to keep, to to make almost immemorial. Right. And so Mary's like, all this stuff has happened. I didn't ever want to forget that. I never. I wanted to hmm. keep this. I want to cherish this. When you come over here to fifty-one, and we kind of talked about this in the first part. This is coming after a really, I think, from a parental perspective, difficult episode with Christ because he's gone to Jerusalem. They're all going as a family. It's Passover. And he disappears at some point Mm -hmm. in this. And they don't know where he is. And they go to the temple. And when they get there, it's, I'm doing my father's business. Right? And so you, you read that and you get down here, verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. This is, it was frightening. Yeah. I can't imagine the panic of three days. Right? Having lost your child. Not That's... just 
your child, but the son of God. Yes. Yeah. Pretty right? big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is the first place where he suggests, yeah, there's more than just you as my parents here. Mm-hmm. How is it that you saw me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And my first response is, you're asking, why do we seek you out? <laughs> you're a 12-year-old kid in Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think we'd do? <laughs> right? And they understood not the saying which he spake to them. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. So he goes right back to being the dutiful son, mm-hmm. mom and dad. But there's that event mm-hmm. in which all of a sudden that parental control, it was, he erased it. And that's what Mary remembers, right? The relationship between Christ and Mary, I think, changes after this. He may go back to being the dutiful son, but she's had this event where it's like, it's not the same after this. Hmm. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it's changed. And is that what that kept means? Yeah, this one means, it means to remember always, kind of like preserve, but it's that sense of, I never forgot that. Oh, okay. And I watched after that. It, In other words, it carries with the sense of, as we move forward in my relationship, this now framed this relationship, mm. right? So you've got these two different ways of keeping it in her heart. There's the one that's like, this is such a beautiful memory. I don't want to ever lose it. Then there's the one, this changed our relationship mm-hmm. and this now governs the relationship. And I never forgot that. And I never, I now acted differently with him by virtue of that. Mm-hmm. And we, we see this, this, progression with Mary. We see it in, in uh, verse 52. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before about Jesus increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Is there any th- insight you can we can learn from this aspect of Christ growing in favor with God and what that really means? What does strike me is the difference between verse 40 and verse 52 on this, right? So, in the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Mm-hmm. So, so, we get the idea that God's grace, whatever this is, is with Christ, part of his development. 51, or 52, it goes on to say, he increased and in favor with God and man. Now that word favor, though, is the same Greek word as the grace back there, which is the common translated for this word, grace, Hmm. right? So now we're getting actual discussion on the concept of grace that's going on here. Since this is dealing with Christ's growth, it becomes a responsibility of the parents then to teach grace. Yeah. In the earlier section, we talked about how we can't make a tree grow. And I think very much that grace, it's something I cannot provide myself. Mm -hmm. And even if I'm doing my best to try to follow this, to set a goal and to try to increase in wisdom or increase in stature and favor with God and man, I can only do what a human can do. And I need that help. Mm -hmm. I need that grace. Um, so that whatever magic it is that makes the tree grow, I need that too. I can only do as much as I can. And and how do you give grace for grace? You protect that tree. You you do your part Hmm. because you can't make that tree grow. We can't repay the grace that we receive. So how do we reciprocate that? We we obey. We we keep the commandments. We we show gratitude for the grace that we receive, not in an effort to repay, but an effort to express our love and gratitude for that which we receive. Well, and to come like back that. to something you guys brought up in the first one, you enable your kids to do these things. 
So you mm -hmm. exercise grace mm -hmm. by enabling them to be able to do these things, right? And that's something that you guys brought up was with your kids, you tried to provide them opportunities where they could do, where they can accomplish. That's grace. Mm -hmm. And you telling your kids that they can do it, that's grace. Mm -hmm. And this lines up with one of the topics we talked about, about finding, finding balance in our life in all aspects which is something we're, we're continually striving to do. And as we mentioned before, the Savior has set that pattern of growth. There's a quote that I often heard my father share. This is from Alfred Edersheim's uh, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And he was commenting on specifically on two accounts that come later in Christ's life. And one is raising Lazarus from the dead. And uh, the other one was the storm-tossed boat in the sea when Christ seemed um, by some appearances to be a little indifferent mm -hmm. to the events. This is the quote from Edersheim. He said, Christ is never in haste, least of all on his errands of love. And he is never in haste because he is always sure. And I like that as it relates to living a balanced life because we can very easily in any capacity or any role in life feel overwhelmed and feel like I've just got to pile more on and try to do more. And somehow God will see me and say, well, you tried to do everything, so you did a great <laughs> job. And I love Christ's example of, of that sureness that he felt that surely came from his Father in heaven as well. I think we can share in that sureness mm -hmm. as parents, as we try to teach our children. And we may want things to be solved now, and they won't, they rarely are solved now, but there is a peace and patience that comes in waiting on the Lord and waiting on the Savior and not expecting to solve everything in our children's lives, not expecting to solve everything in our own lives today, but taking time. You know, we see that uh, with the story of, of Lazarus. I love that, how he just, I, I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah, I, I could have. Mm -hmm. You know, if I would have come earlier, yeah, but... But don't worry, everything mm -hmm. is fine. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I've, I've loved getting to know all of you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights uh, with us today on the show. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from Matthew chapter two and Luke chapter two. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. Come Follow Up is a learning and teaching resource. For clips, insights, artwork, and additional materials, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we'll be studying John chapter 1, our power to become sons and daughters of God, and much more. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.